Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you all. Um, I'm Joel, as was just said. I'm the sucker who says yes every time people uh, ask him to come preach, um, especially on difficult days. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, I get asked to preach often. And um, this year, actually, for Mother's and Father's Day, I was asked by about six different churches to come preach, which tells you something about preaching on Mother's and Father's Day. Um, but it's, a, it's my dear privilege to be here. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, elders and staff, for, uh, for inviting me. If you would, please stand and take out your Bibles. Um, today, we're going to spend a lot of time uh, in God's Word. We're going to be jumping around. This is not going to be a normal sermon for me because this is more topical, and I like to preach typically rooted in one, in one text. But um, I think there's a lot to learn um, throughout the scriptures, uh, specifically talking uh, to mothers and to women. And so if you would turn to Galatians chapter 4, uh, we're going to be reading verses 4 to 7, and we're going to start there. Uh, I think it's supposed to come up. I have it on the, on the slides. Pay careful attention to the reading of God's word. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And I'm going to throw in there, and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and a daughter. And if a son and a daughter, then an heir through God. Thus far, the reading of God's word, would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much that you speak to us um, in all of the different phases, all of the different ways that we try to serve you. You speak to us and you pronounce this beautiful word over us. You are my child in whom I am well pleased. Um, God, thank you that that word is spoken to us because of the work of Jesus, because God, we just aren't strong enough to do it. We aren't strong enough to to, uh, garner your pleasure. So, Lord, we pray that you would warm our hearts with love and joy and affection towards Christ because the work he's done for us and then encourage us in our love of you and our neighbors, we pray. For Christ's sake and the building of his kingdom. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, Mother's Day is this day when we rightly stop for an entire day. And we thank and appreciate our moms. We recognize the sacrifice that they've made throughout their lives so that their children, namely us, we can thrive. And it's right and good for us to do that um, because moms are so very important. So for you moms, I want you to hear good news today. Uh, Your children don't make you who you are. God does, and he's pleased with you. But for some, today is not a day of celebration, but instead a day of sadness. Um, Maybe you're here today, and your relationship with your mom is more characterized by strain um, and unhappiness and pain than happiness. Well, today, I hope to encourage you that you are deeply loved. Uh, You're deeply cared for by your father. Uh, You could be here today and be single and feel like on a day like Mother's Day, you don't have a place. Um, 
in this celebration. You may have always wanted to be married and have kids, but have never been given the opportunity. And so you feel less than others around you. Today, I want to encourage you, single women, that God deeply cherishes you. You may be here today, and you may have lost a child, either through miscarriage or through an accident or through a decision you made, and today may be a day of sadness. A dear sister, God deeply knows your pain, and yet he holds out hope and joy for you. For all women here today, I want you to know, I want you to leave here knowing that you are daughters of the king. And so today, I'm going to take the special privilege, being the guest preacher, and I'm going to rename today, at least for the next half hour. And instead of Mother's Day, we'll call this Daughter's Day. Because you, through faith in Christ, are daughters of the king God loves you and cherishes you, not because you can bear children, but because you have been made worthy of his love through the work of Christ. So here's my big point today. It's the one organizing thought through which we'll think of this whole, whole sermon. Here we go. If you're a note taker, get ready. Because you are a daughter of the king, you are free to serve Christ's kingdom in whatever capacity or stage of life you're in. Let me repeat that. Because you're a daughter of the king, you are free to serve Christ's kingdom in whatever capacity or stage of life you're in. We're going to look at this in four major points. One, the first one will be the longest, and then the three will follow shortly. The first one is just simply this, you're daughters of the king. Second one, you're cherished in singleness. The third one, you have this ability to use wisdom in your marriage. And then the fourth one, you're valued in mothering and grandmothering. So first, you're daughters of the king. Adoption is one of the coolest things um, I think that I've ever uh, seen take place. And recently, I've loved to watch uh, those videos on Instagram or on uh, Facebook where you see a kid who's in the car with his parents. Typically, it's a foster kid. And they're like going, and the kid thinks they're just heading off to get donuts or something like that. And then, surprise, we're at the courthouse and we're adopting you, right? Have you ever seen those videos? If you haven't, you need to go look at them. I mean, uh, I'm the crying preacher, so it's easy for me to cry anyways. But um, those ones, I mean, I just start weeping. Uh, the, the sheer joy, the sheer joy that's on that child's face, the excitement, it just blows my mind. You see, many foster kids describe how they don't feel like they have a place in a family, how it's difficult for them to invest in the family because they don't know how long they're going to be there. Sometimes, even in our bio families, we can struggle with the feeling of belonging and being secure in who we are. And that brings difficulty. And yet, I can remember the day when my older brother, James, uh, was adopted by my father. Uh, I think he was like 26 or something like that at the time. Uh, we went to the courthouse, 
And he changed his last name from being what it was to now being Fitzpatrick. And it was this immense day of celebration for us. We changed in that moment from not sharing a last name to sharing something deeply in common with one another. Adoption is the taking of someone who doesn't have a family into your family and making them one of you. Giving them all the rights and privileges of being a Fitzpatrick. Of being a part of your bio family. It's this amazing act where you bring this person into your family with all of their problems, with all of their warts, with all of their foibles, and you bring them in and you say, We want you to be a part of us. We want you to have a place here, to be accepted, to be loved. You move aside all the things that they think disqualifies them from being a part of your family. And you say, no, you're not unacceptable. You're actually acceptable. And we want you to be one of us. If you have your Bibles out, look back down at them. Listen to this. But when the fullness of time had come, that means that at the right time, at the perfect time, God sent his son. I mean, that's mind-blowing in and of itself, right? Um, God sent his son. God the Father sent Jesus. Romans 8 tells us that this wasn't God the Father saying, no, Jesus, you're going to go. It was Jesus saying, I'd like to go. And God the Father saying, okay, go ahead and go. At the right time, God the Father sent his son, the creator and sustainer of all things, to be born of a woman. Not just any woman. Many, if not most scholars, say that Mary was a 15, was somewhere in between 15 and 17, maybe 18 years old. Some people place her a little bit younger than that. Um... But think about that. God the Son came into the world to be cared for and loved for by a 15-year-old girl. Now, my daughter's 15, so I get like a conception of this, right? A 15-year-old girl caring for the God-man but it doesn't end there. God the Son, the writer of the law, the one who spoke it into being, the one who said it was good, was born under the law. He placed himself under the law. So notice what's happening here. God the Son places himself under his creation to be cared for by it. And then God the Son places himself under his creation, the law, to fulfill it so that you and I we would be adopted as sons and daughters and so that the Holy Spirit might dwell inside of us. Notice this. Adoption is the work 
of every member of the Trinity. It's not like God the Father's off just angry, pounding his fist. And God the Son's like, oh, I'm going to assuage you, God the Father. I'm going to pacify your anger, so I'm going to come. No, they all intentionally did this so that you and I, through faith in Christ, could be adopted as sons and daughters of the King. And then we would have access to God the Father to such an extent that we could come up to him and cry out, Abba, Father. As if he was just our dad. Now we'll get to that in a couple of weeks when we look at Father's Day. But notice this, we're treated differently. So you are no, verse 7, you are no longer a slave. We're no longer slaves. Well, what is a slave? A slave in this time, I mean, don't think of like slavery, like early American slavery, that blight on our history. Um, A slave at this point was a person who was in the debt of a wealthier person. So they had to work it off, right? And what makes a slave a slave, what makes a slave worthy or worthwhile is how much they can produce for their master. But you see, we're no longer slaves. You're no longer a slave. Instead, we're daughters. We're sons. We're heirs. We're co-heirs with Christ. Don't lose sight of this. Especially women. Don't lose sight of this. Your standing in the kingdom of God, your adoption in the kingdom of God, your acceptance as daughters of the king is not based on production. It's not based on your ability to produce children. It's not based on your work ethic. It's not based on how clean your house is. It's not based on how good of a cook you are. It's not based on how successful you are as a lawyer or an engineer. It's not based on that. It's based your place in the family of God is yours because someone else, namely Jesus, earned it for you. You see, that's good news. That's really good news. This incredible truth gives you freedom to now live as you're called. To live as you're called, like we're told in 1 Corinthians. This newfound freedom says to you that if you are gifted as a lawyer, daughter of the king, if you're gifted as a lawyer, then go be a lawyer. If you're gifted as an engineer, then go be an engineer and do so in service of God and love of your neighbor. If God's called you to be a mom, then be a mom and live into that with freedom because Jesus has done that for you. You see, if you're single, then that's nothing to be ashamed of. Live into your singleness. 
because God cherishes you. Second point, cherished in singleness. The story of Lydia. I told you to keep your Bibles out. Flip now over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, we get this great story. This is the Apostle Paul on his second missionary uh, journey. Um, the Apostle Paul's kind of cruising through the Middle East. Um, not really cruising. He's kind of going through the Middle East. It's less of a cruise, more of a torturous journey. Um, but uh, he's cruising through the Middle East, and he has this vision. A Macedonian man says, we need you. Come. Okay? God confirms it in him. Paul goes. He goes and he takes a boat. Come over to Macedonia. We need you. So, chapter 16, verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a different, a direct voyage to Samothrace. I'm um, in the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi. So now Paul has gone from the Middle East into Europe. Now he's in Greece, okay? Keep this in mind. This is an important part. Um, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. I mean, they had no idea. They're like, yeah, people are probably just praying by the river, so let's go out. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed on us. Skip down to verse 30 now. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Um, it's not often that we hear about the gift of singleness, or the goodness of singleness, I should say, um, especially when it comes to women. I went to a local college uh, here for my undergraduate, and um, it was a Christian college, and uh, the running joke was the, the uh, acronym for the college actually stood for Catching Husbands College. Um, it was CHC, Christian Heritage College. It was Catching Husbands College. And you know, like, you kind of laugh about that when you're in college, and then when you get older and you look back, you're like, really? Um, you see, if women were there and they were single, it was kind of odd. Um, I don't know if any women went there, but when I was there, it was kind of odd. Um, it was as if something was wrong with them, like they should just get married. Um, and so many of my friends, when I talk to them and they're single in the church, um, they say to me, like, Joel, I kind of feel like an outsider. So much of the church is geared towards men and women who have been married. Um, 
And yet here, dear sister, if you're here and you're single, then I want you to hear that you're cherished in your singleness. There's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) In fact, your singleness sets you up to have an incredible impact on the church. God cherishes you in your singleness. Now, we have this story of Lydia, and we really don't know much about her. We just hear her here. Um, We don't know whether she was married and then divorced, or whether her husband had died, or whether she'd just always been single. But we know at this point that she's a single woman living on her own. Um, She's a Gentile woman. She comes from the city of Thyatira, and yet she has faith that there is a Messiah. Uh, She believes She was a devout woman. Notice she was out praying with the women because there weren't enough men to actually create a synagogue. So the men weren't meeting anywhere, which was Paul's usual way of doing things. He'd go meet with the men, preach to them. But he goes out to this river and he finds these women gathered together. And he finds Lydia there. And he preaches. He tells them about the good news of Jesus. And this epic thing happens. Um, God saves Lydia. Now, uh, you may think to yourself, yeah, just another convert, not a big deal. Um, But think about this. This was the first missionary journey into Greece. out Out of the Middle East and into Greece. This is the first convert on that first missionary journey. That means that God gave the pride of place to a single woman who was a Gentile to be the first convert in Europe. Second amazing fact about this, mind-blowing fact. Lydia was a woman of means. Um, She was a woman who was a seller of purple. Uh, You may think to yourself, ah, purple, it's a nice color, but not that big of a deal. Um, Well, no. At this point, purple was a big deal. Um, When you were a seller of purple, that means you had money. You had means. Lydia... Lydia prevails on Paul to stay with her and then brings the entire church in and then supports the work of the, of the, of the missionary work of the Apostle Paul as he takes the gospel throughout Europe. She was the patron. Do you know what a patron is? A patron is this person who essentially funds everything for another person. She was the patron of the church in Philippi. She brought them into her house and they met in her house. The church in Philippi, this leading church, this first foray into Europe, met in the house, was funded by the first convert in Europe, a single woman. 
You see, her singleness didn't disqualify her. Her success as a businesswoman didn't make her someone who had something wrong with her. (laughs) Um, Instead, it freed her up. It freed her up to be incredibly generous and to participate in the propagation of the gospel in Macedonia and by extension, all of Europe. Dearest single sister, you are not less than your married sisters. You are not less worthy of God's love. You are not less useful because you don't have children. Be encouraged. The Apostle Paul, Philippians 1, looks back. And he remembers the Philippian church and he says, I thank God every day in my remembrance of you. Why? Because of your partnership with me in the gospel from the very beginning. Who do you think he's thinking of? Yes, it's the whole church. But it's also Lydia. It's Lydia. His heart's bursting with joy for her. As one female author puts it, Paul thus established one of the leading churches in Europe through the prayer, faith, and ultimately the giving of a group of women. Another author says this, in her open-hearted generosity, Lydia demonstrated the reality of her conversion. Third point, wisdom in marriage. The story of Priscilla, Acts 18. Um, We have uh, Paul, he's returning to Corinth or returning to Antioch. And then we hear of this guy, Apollos, down in Acts 18, verse 24. Let me start there. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard them, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Why is this important? This seems like it's just a little story kind of thrown in here. Um, one line. Um, if you have time today uh, to do some research on Priscilla or Prisca, um, she shows up all over the New Testament, <laughs> all over the New Testament as a leading woman in the church, in the New Testament church. And here we read about how Priscilla and her husband, Aquila, they hear Apollos, this eloquent preacher, um, preaching, and they cared for him instead of denigrating him in public, which quite frankly is something that most people on Twitter Uh, could take a a little bit of a note from. Um, Instead of denigrating someone that they disagree with online or on Twitter, Priscilla and Aquila took him into their house and discipled him. 
Now, I have to be honest, it's been my tendency over the years of ministry and reading the Bible um, that me as a man, I just naturally thought it was Aquila, right? Um, most guys think that. Um, and most guys think that it was naturally Aquila who discipled Apollos. Um, well, <laughs> uh, many of the commentators point out the reality the reality that Priscilla's name comes first. And we have to ask the question, why is that that big of a deal? Well, in that way, the writer of Acts is pointing literally to the fact that most likely Priscilla understood the gospel and the scriptures better than her husband did. Now, um, most husbands here, if you're honest with yourself and you look at yourself, you're like, eh, yeah, my wife gets it better than I do. Um, my wife grew up in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, uh, my wife who's here, and uh, it's taken me um, a master's degree from one of the leading seminaries, and now five years in ministry to kind of catch up to her wisdom. Um, Now, I can hear you saying, wait a second, Joel. I thought women weren't supposed to teach men. And they were supposed to be in subjection to men. I thought that's what the Bible teaches. Um, Derek Thomas, uh, one of the leading minds on, uh, on New Testament Christianity, says this. Uh, women are not called to be in subjection to all men. Only their husbands. Secondarily, Priscilla could teach Apollos, and she did. I mean, she did this within the confines of her home. You see, we conclude that Priscilla was the leading mind. She was the strong spirit, the moving spirit, is, um, as, the, as a one commentator, uh, commentator says it, that she was more mature, <laughs> um, more gifted and able than her husband. And also spiritually fully developed due to her having been discipled personally by the Apostle Paul for 18 months while she lived with him. While she and Aquila lived with him. You see, Aquila seems to have been a gentle, quiet soul who was genuine in his un un unobtrusive way. I love that word, unobtrusive way. It seems like the couple was childless. See, God was pleased to use the wisdom of Priscilla to shape and form and train Apollos, one of the, most, one of the foremost preaching minds of the early church. This is very instructive to young men who are pursuing ministry. Um, who are pursuing to grow in their knowledge and admiration of what the Lord has done. God may bring a wise woman into your life to teach you. To teach you so much about what the gospel says and about ministry. Dearest brother, don't despise that teaching just because it comes from the fairer sex. 
accept it with humility and thankfulness. And this is such an encouragement to wise, gospel-centered women who may be married but are childless, either because they have never had children or their children have moved out. God may be calling you to impart your wisdom on those around you. And in that way, you can use God's wisdom to become a spiritual mother to those around you. Last point, fourth point, valued in mothering and grandmothering. Lois, Eunice, and Timothy. Uh, turn, if you would, in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 5. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's vamping on Timothy, right? And he says this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Last but not least, um, to some women, uh, God grants the vocation of motherhood, um, of mothering. And to these women is given this um, incredible privilege and task of influencing their children for the gospel. Um, I've grown up with incredibly strong women surrounding me my entire life. Uh, my mom, who's here, uh, Elise, has written over 20 books um, on scripture, on counseling, on Christian living. My grandmother, Thelma, was a, was a tried-and-true, dyed-in-the-wool, back-hills Kentucky evangelist preacher. Um, she played the piano and could not talk enough about God. My sister, Jessica, is an author, a speaker, and a gospel bulldog. Uh, my wife, Ruth, is a woman who is so much wiser than I am. She's deeply rooted in the scriptures. My mother-in-law, Eileen, loves Jesus and people in a way that draws people to herself, hurting people to herself, and then to Jesus. My other mothers, Anita and Donna, these women who shaped my life all the way up through and beyond my marriage. Anita and Donna, they showed me how to love Jesus in the midst of difficult times. My sister, my dear sister Shannon, my other sister Shannon, um, not by blood, but by friendship, has taught me the centrality of Christ in the midst of counseling. My spiritual mother, Cheryl, taught me the value of preaching the gospel in a way that children can understand. The value of loving them and showing them Jesus. You see, the funny thing is I could go on all day long. Um, woman after woman after woman that God's brought into my life who've been strong women who have loved Jesus. You see, Eunice and Lois here, they serve as an encouragement to you moms and you grandmothers. 
I'm sure they tried to be intentional in their teaching. But Eunice and Lois, just like my mom and Anita and Donna and my sister and all of these other women in my life, they weren't perfect. (laughs) They were intentional about teaching Timothy the word. They were devout Jews who believed in the Messiah. They had deep deep faith as is evidenced by Paul's use of the word lived, this faith that lived inside of them. And Paul tells Timothy that the faith that now lives inside of him is a faith that he inherited, that was passed down to him through his mom and his grandmother. You see, Eunice and Lois weren't perfect. <laughs> no one is. They were just normal, just a normal mom and a normal grandma who loved Jesus and loved their son and grandson. But they were, in their broken mothering, showing Timothy what it means to live by faith. You see, this simple faith-filled living, in this simple faith-filled living, Timothy came. Timothy came to have faith in Christ. You see, here it is, moms and grandmas. Today on Mother's Day, you don't have to be superwomen. Um, You heard it from me. You don't have to be a superwoman. You don't have to do or say everything perfectly. You don't have to have a Pinterest-worthy house if you don't want to. Praise God. You don't need to have Instagram-worthy devotional times where your Bible's open and the cup of coffee looks beautiful right in front of it. And you just happen to turn to the page where you've highlighted most of it. (laughs) You're called to the same thing. Let me digress. The reason we laugh at that is because this is this new law that's being put on us. That's not the law of God. You're called to the same thing every other Christian is. To love God and to love your family. It's amazing as I was reading a book that's yet to come out. Uh, The author is my mom, so I can say this. Um, It's a dynamite book. Um, She was vamping on Luke 11, uh, 27 and 28, uh, where a woman, after hearing Jesus preach, raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. What's she saying there? Uh, My mom points out so eloquently that she's tying Mary's worth to her ability to have children. (laughs) Um, Jesus, God, I love Jesus, uh, says this, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. (laughs) You see, um, The woman in that moment was attaching Mary's worth to her ability to bear and raise a child, but Jesus rearranges her thinking. My mom says, blessing comes from hearing and believing the truth. (laughs) So beautiful, moms and grandmothers. On this day when we honor you, know this, you are blessed not because you're able to have children, 
but rather because you're an adopted daughter of the king. Breathe, Joel. And this truth allows you to parent your child with freedom and without looking to them to make you feel worthwhile through their obedience or their success or their faithfulness. You see, dearest daughters of the king, your father loves you deeply. And his love for you is not based on what you can do for him. Isn't that amazing? His love for you, he cherishes you, and it has nothing to do with what you do for him. Um, His love for you is secure in your success. His love for you is secure in you. Uh, for, his love for you is secure in your failure, in your singleness. He loves you. In your mentoring, he loves you. In your child raising, he loves you. Because you're his daughter, you're free now to live in that love and in the freedom that Christ has bought for you. Loving God, loving your neighbor and using the skills and talents that God has given you to serve others in whatever capacity or stage of life you're in. May God continue to bless Harbor City Church, and may God continue to make it a place where women thrive in the freedom and the love that Christ has won for it. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Uh, You truly are a good father. (laughs) God, thank you that that truth never gets old. Thank you that it's the same old truth, just over and over again, hearing it fresh and new. God, I pray that you would bless the women of this church. I pray that you would build them up in your love. And that you would do this for the glory of your name and the service of your church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.